Okay, everybody, thank you for joining us now on Talk of the Now podcast, and I am Gene, and I'm back with you today, and today I've got another special guest with me, um, Dr. Lutz. Um, Dr. Lutz is a, um, well, he does a lot of things. Um, For one, I know him from seminary. I took a seminary class here in the Atlanta metro area, Atlanta metro seminary, and um, Dr. Lutz was uh, the professor of that class. And it was a class on um, career, finding your calling and so forth as a Christian. And it was very insightful and helpful. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, just want to introduce Dr. Uh, Lutz. And uh, how are you today, Dr. Lutz? I'm doing well. It's a little bit overcast here in Atlanta, but it's, uh, I guess we'll get over that. And But the good news is tomorrow I'm going to the Masters and it's going to be sunny. Oh, man, I'm jealous. <laughs> I thought uh, you would be. Yeah, I've been one time. I got to go during the practice rounds one time, and it was incredible. Yeah, it's a special place. This would be my sixth time, I believe. Oh, oh man, really? Yeah. So, sixth I, individual um, day. Do you have any um, fond masters moments or memories of going? Oh, well, of course, the first time you go, I went with my two boys, or two of my boys. Uh, I've got six sons, five of whom play golf. Um, and so we're all kind of fond of golf, but I went with my two oldest boys, uh, and t- just every now and then the pictures come up and we, we see just, that was a very special day, yeah. um, uh, for them. Uh, also, uh, we were there the time that, um, uh, Bubba Watson won and the first, first day, oh. or I think we were there on a Thursday and we just show how we showed up when he was teeing off and we just. We didn't plan to follow him and we were going to different, different places, but we ended up seeing him make seven birdies that day. Oh, what year was that? I remember that. Uh, vaguely. I think it was the year he did the big uh, hairpin turn on yeah. 10 out of the woods. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say 10 years ago. Yeah. I was thinking it had to be at least five plus. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I think it is. Wow. Okay. I went, the one time I went was 2018. Were you at that one? Do you remember? I uh, don't believe so. I think the last time I went was probably six years ago. Okay. No, I didn't know that you were a golf person. Wow. I may have to have you come on here and we'll talk golf one day. No, I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've remembered Berkeley Hills country club, got sons that play golf. Actually, I've all of my sons at some point in their life have caddied at Eastlake. So okay. I've over the years gotten to play down at Eastlake quite a bit. Okay. I am a beginner golfer. Um, so uh-huh. I'm, I'm nothing so special. <laughs> Aren't we, we all? Are. <laughs> we all are. I, well, I guess I, I started playing more serious around 2011, 12. Um, mm-hmm. which in golfing years, it's like dog years to me. I mean, it's like you get to 10 years, you're finally a one year old. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. But uh, maybe one day we can go out and uh, I can, uh, we can, you can help give me a few pointers on a few things. Love I don't to. Know. <laughs> Love to. Well, um, Let's get to our here. Um, Mr. Thomas Lutz um, has a extensive background. If you could maybe give our audience a little bit of your, you know, your background, how you grew up, where you grew up, um, how you got into the career fields that you're in and what you're up to these days. Yeah, sure. So I was raised in uh, Baltimore <clears throat> and uh, early on, you know, be, uh, was very interested in faith and uh, had some people uh, tell me that made me probably make a good pastor. So I thought, well, okay. So I went to undergraduate 
school, got a degree in Greek and Latin in order to prepare to study Greek in seminary, went on, earned my master's degree right out of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then happened to, I uh, was involved in starting a church in the inner city of Baltimore, right out of seminary. And then paths begin to diverge because the church couldn't afford to pay me a lot. Uh, and so I um, uh, had some friends who were starting, what well, I didn't know anything about business, were starting a business and said, hey, why don't you come work for us? We'll give you the flexibility to do the, the work in the, the church and so forth. Uh, but we'll be able to supplement your income. So I said, that'd be great. So sure enough, I did that. And for several years, I was bivocational. So I was, you know, doing up working as a pastor, but also working as a business person. I tell people I, I speak two languages. I speak pastor and I speak business guy, uh, which is a little bit unusual. Um, and anyway, so, but fast forward after a few years, the company was growing quite substantially and they kind of said to me, well, we need you either to stay in the business full time or, or not. Uh, I chose, just felt like my calling was in the business uh, and I chose to, uh, to, to stay there. Um, and then um, uh, fast forward to 20 years after we started it, we sold that business and it had 1800 employees in 18 countries. Mm. And that was in the year 2000. Uh, since then, you know, I've, I've, uh, took, took some time off just to think about what I wanted to do. That's about when I started playing golf a few years before mm-hmm. that, uh, when my t- two oldest boys were in college, um, and, uh, started doing some consulting. I always found I was good at strategic planning. So being able to, uh, think about, you know, you want to, you have a destination in mind, but you don't really have a plan and just sit down with a blank piece of paper and kind of work through that. And uh, so, yeah, so then uh, about 10 years after I sold the company, I, I had the opportunity now, I'm kind of, I work part-time at this point, about half, maybe 15, 20 hours a week. I do two primary things. One is uh, I work with um, business owner roundtable groups. So these would be um, uh, businesses that uh, employ anywhere from in the smaller company group, two or three up to businesses that, that uh, have employed five, 600 uh, in the larger company group. And uh, we work as a group of CEOs to, to run exceptional businesses. And then I coach each of them individually. Um, what's unique about Convene is that the, uh, they're all faith-based. So these will all be business owners who... Uh, want to want help in putting their their faith into practice in their work environment. Uh, and then I, I did a, a doctoral dissertation on working with those kinds of individuals on on, on discipling C level Christian executives mm-hmm. uh, years ago. And then that's so I've subsequently teach it where we we met uh, Metro Atlanta Seminary. Uh, and then uh, just uh, as of uh, a month ago, I uh, have a book published uh, on that topic of, of discipling people who work outside the church and why God cares about the work that they do. Mm-hmm. That's in a nutshell. Yeah. Okay. Um, and let's see. So, okay. That's a lot to, I guess, to unfold there. Um, how did you, let me start before we get to your book. That's one thing I do want to talk about. Um, what um, is the Metro Seminary? Is that your, was that your first gig with um, teaching at seminary? Uh, that's the first, that's the first and only seminary I've taught at. Yeah. Okay. 
That's correct. And um, I, I did my doctor, my master's and doctoral work at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, but um, uh, Metro Atlanta is here in Atlanta. Okay. Um, so, um, has, is this um, what classes have you taught? Uh, I generally teach the introductory classes for the, the first year students. So it's uh, Older Testament Survey, Newer Testament Survey. Uh, the class you referenced, which is um, kind of the, it's it's the it's the class that led to the book called um, Discovering Your Kingdom Purpose. In other mm-hmm. words, trying to understand your the, the work that you do outside the church in the context of uh, helping the world to flourish and so forth. Uh, and then I teach a class on, uh, ethics and leadership. Mm-hmm. And I've taught several classes in the doctoral program. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's a good bit of, um, that's a lot of students to come across. But, uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, that's, that's, it's very enjoyable. Um, Metro Atlanta is a little bit unique as you well know, it's not, we're not heavy bricks and mortar, heavy academic, um, you know, we do the majority of our work in uh, um, kind of like the way seminary and in graduate school used to be is there was a heavy dose of practical work in addition mm-hmm. to your academic work. Um, yeah, and that's where we do. And um, the name of your book was again, uh, sorry, what was the name of it again? Equipping Christians mm-hmm. for Kingdom Purpose in Their Work. So, okay. Um I guess, if you will, then uh, maybe give us a little bit uh, starting off with the cliff notes of the book, if you will. Yeah, well, I think it's in essence, um, you know, a lot of people don't really know what to make of Christianity because they don't they they don't understand that it applies to all of your life. Right. Uh, And I think part of that goes back to and this is where my seminary calling and and, uh, uh, the the CEO roundtable advising um, is. My theology tells me I go back to a God who created me, not just to be a church member, right? But created me to be a, we use the term in the book, image bearer. In other words, to be like God uh, and to do three things that, that, that uh, he, he, when he put the image bearer in the garden, he gave him three instructions. Number one, he said, your first primary op- objective is to create abundance. We've often use the word fill, but the Hebrew word means create abundance, uh, is to take this raw material. I've planted a seed in there. Now, your job is to cultivate that, to to grow more wheat, to turn it into bread, to put it in bags, to put it on the stores at shelf at Kroger, take it home to somebody's table, create jobs, create, in other words, make this place flourishing is is the Hebrew term. Uh, you've heard the term shalom uh, that people have used. Number mm-hmm. two, uh, he said, this world has infinite potential. Uh, you will never exhaust all of the potential uh, that a, an, an infinite God has put into the raw materials of this, of this world. And so your job is to cultivate that potential. So for those that are creatives, whether it's music, art, science, uh, technology, uh, inventives, inventors, uh, you know, that's, that's part of what it means to be, um, uh, a Christian. Uh, and then the third one is it's not safe. Uh, wind is dangerous. The electricity is dangerous. Water's dangerous. You've got to empower, bring those things under control in order to contribute to this flourishing society. And so that's a much bigger picture. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm afraid what too often has happened with our pastors is they've, they've taught us, um, you know, here's a phrase we use in there is when I say spiritual, you think non-physical. Uh, and when I say redemption, you think preaching the gospel. Uh, and when I say heaven, you think disembodied. Uh, whereas, in fact, spirituality is fundamentally physical in a fundamentally physical world. I mean, God created and loves this world, uh, you know, with the result that he wants, he wants it to be the most beautiful, prosperous, flourishing place it can be. Hmm. And so the gist of the book is to try to help, um, uh, help people who are called to help people figure out what it means to be a Christian in the, the time that they spend outside of the church. Right. Right. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the gist of, that's the, the cliff notes, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I guess that brings up a lot of questions in some ways. Um, yeah. Just thinking outside of, um, well, a lot of times I've done theology book, um, podcast, excuse me. And, um, you know, and I'll talk to a pastor that I interview and talk to, maybe we'll talk about, um, theology or, um, you know, salvation or something uh-huh. of that nature. Just one of the general theology topics, you know, um, and, and I try to also bring in questions that somebody might ask if they were, uh, I don't know, just if, if they were just off the street, knew nothing about Christianity, if you know what I mean? Yeah. Right, so sure. I think that, so I'm going to try to come at you with some of the questions that I think that somebody might ask that might yep, either a absolutely. not be a Christian or B sure. might be a new Christian. And they're trying to put the puzzles pieces together as we all are, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if you were a non-believer Christian and you said, okay. Um, yeah. I know there's this Bible and I know there's God and out there that people talk about, you know, what does um, Christianity you know, maybe I'm exploring Christi- the principle or the um, the tenets of Christianity and thinking about, you know, if I'd want to put my faith in that, what, what does right. my work every day do? What, you know, what, what is my financial life? You know, as far I'm an accountant or I'm a, you know, plumber or maybe even a um, teacher. What does that actually have to do with me putting my faith in Christianity? I mean, I hear Christians all the time saying, hey, my, my faith is personal. Don't talk to me about my faith. I, you know, I've got mm-hmm. my work over here. I'm an artist by day, but don't ask me about my faith. I don't know if I'm making that too broad of a question. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, one of the chapters in the book is, is to help people think about the importance of what they do. Um, <clears throat> our society tends to stratify uh glorify you know the wealthier the more talented mm-hmm. uh you know the movie star or the basketball player or in my case why well, I love Atlanta United so the Atlanta United soccer player yeah um those that make a lot of money drive you know fancy cars um but one of the questions I always ask or teach people to ask is what would happen if nobody does what your company does? Nobody did what your company does. And all of a sudden you begin to, you know, you ask that of someone who's, who's a uh, trash collector. Right. Right. Uh, in some ways our society says trash collecting, what's that all about? Um, but think about it this way. If someone, if someone did not, collect and recycle and everything the trash we'd all be dead 
So is that an important role? Yeah, I think so. You know, we noticed a lot of this during the pandemic, right? When, when things were shut down, uh, you know, nobody did police work. That's a problem. Nobody does fireman's work. That's a problem. Nobody does plumbing. Nobody does HVAC. Mm-hmm. The world simply doesn't flourish without that work being done. Uh, and we need as a society, we need, you know, every now and then we get a glimpse uh, and we, we begin to thank those people. Um, but we need every day to recognize that that's the, the work that they do is beautiful and meaningful and makes the world a much better place than it would be if they didn't. You know, people that uh, I've, I've spoken in groups and there was a company that did janitorial work. Yeah. You know, we don't think about, um, uh, you know, it's you just walk in, you walk into a store every day or you walk into a uh, an office building or you walk into the city park here in Peachtree Corners and everything's clean. Everything's taken care of. We don't even think about the fact that a human being had to do that work. Uh, and that's a way I think if you start talking to people, all of a sudden faith becomes big, yeah. right? It becomes life shaping uh, as opposed to something that happens on nights and weekends at church. <laughs> You're probably really familiar with that Martin Luther King Jr. quote about, um, is it a street sweeper or a sweeper? Street sweeper. Yeah, yep, absolutely. That's what that reminded me of. And I can't yep, think yep. of the quote, but. Basically, it was I, I don't remember either, but I've, I've heard it. I've read it before. Yeah, it's basically yeah. taking pride no matter what you do. If you're a, a street sweeper or if you're, right. a, you know, janitor or. A yeah, CEO. there's a fam- famous story of I think it was John Kennedy at, at uh, Cape. It was called Cape Canaveral at the time. I think it maybe has reverted to that. They were called it Cape Kennedy for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, was just randomly walking through the place and he saw a man who turned out to be a janitor. Uh, and he said, and, and so, sir, what do you do here? And, uh, you know, this guy who was, I mean, basically he was cleaning toilets and picking up the trash. He said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Hmm. Right. That's how, that's the kind of thing we have to, you know, yes, you are. Because if you don't do the work you do, no matter how fancy the scientists are, the place is not clean. It's not, we're not going to be able to do the work that we need to do. So every, everybody's important. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, and you know, I think that looking back my teenage years, when I became Christian, it was hard to put certain things together. Um, you know, I might think that, oh, I want to become an HVAC technician. What does that got okay. to do with my Christianity? You know, but that in a lot of ways to me explains it. I mean, people, <laughs> we couldn't have our conversations as easily that we're having right now if the AC wasn't working behind us to keep us from sweating oh, yeah. while we're doing this. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, you think about, uh, there's, we quote somebody in the book that says, you know, without all of those, the, you know, the kind of work that we don't respect, if, if, if people didn't do that, we would still be living in caves and eating our dinner over an open fire. Mm. Uh, like another example, I was speaking to some, a group of, of uh, business owners, asked that question, what would happen if nobody did what you do? And this one company was a manufacturer of what, I don't know if you would know the term in construction, we use the term fasteners. Mm-hmm. So that would be brackets and hinges and nuts and bolts and hooks and anything that holds things together. 
you know, like the drywall, you know, the piece of the drywall that you, you put over the, the, the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just got laughing. You know, he realized, I mean, just, just think next time you're driving down the road, look around the world. If fasteners didn't exist, you'd be living in a cave cooking over a fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So what does HVAC have to do with it? You want to be cool. You know, the only way you're going to be cool is if somebody changes those belts with regularity and, and excellence. Mm-hmm. And I've always, since becoming more aware of the outside world around me, which to me falls usually for people somewhere in their mid twenties, <laughs> you know, just yeah, kinda, you be- begin to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we first I, see outside of ourselves. Right. <laughs> I thought of Jesus and it always fascinated him with, to me. I don't know about you, that he was a carpenter. You know, that was his. Absolutely. Trade. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think yeah. I've always wondered, and I don't know if you have a perspective on this. Is is there probably some significance in the fact that he was indeed a carpenter? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Greek word is actually tecton and would probably more more likely be a builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, m- there's very little wood in the in the Holy Land. So chances are he didn't do a lot with wood. He probably did most of stone. Um. But I always, I, I always find it a fascinating concept that, uh, so if you, if you were to read the Gospels and study the way Jesus teaches, he talks about people's work all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about the parables, you cannot, you could not name to me a parable that uh, doesn't have somebody's work as the, 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 you have to understand, excuse me, understand somebody's work before you can understand the parable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, so the net result is the word for him among the people, the people that were listening to him said, you know, this one speaks differently than our scribes and Pharisees. He speaks with authority, uh, and the authority, the word for authority is like wisdom. He's, he understands me. Right. Right. Um, and Jesus, he had talked all, cause he spent 18 years from the time he was 12, let's, let's say till when he, um, and even even well, he was probably still working while he was, um, uh, you know, in his public phase. Mm-hmm. But 18 years of his time was spent with his dad for a while, running a business, hanging out with other people who ran businesses, uh, causing, working and flourishing in his community. Yeah, that's, I, I, you know, I don't think about you know, that. God did that. You know, mm-hmm. God, when God came to the world, right, he didn't just show up as an adult get crucified and go home. Mm-hmm. He uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says to us that he grew in stature and wisdom and favor with God and man. Right. He, he learned, uh, however mind blowing that is, he learned uh, what it meant to be a contributing part of a community uh, and causing the flourishing of the community that he was part of. Yeah. And what better way to do that than, a builder. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, again, <laughs> just, just think about that. It's just, uh-huh. you know, he, he would sit. So I, and very much, you know, so then when he tells the parable about uh, don't build the foundation of your life, you know, he says someone who builds a house uh, on the sand, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to on the rocks, Right have you have a found but then it's it's that principle that a a weak foundation will destroy the house strong foundation will secure the house then he takes 
because that's the way the world works, by the way, you should have a strong foundation to your life. Right. Right. You should, you should have a secure rock foundation for, for your life. That's interesting to think of as well, because in any sector that you hear people talk, whether it be a philosopher from Yale or a um, guy walking down the street that goes to a Pentecostal church that doesn't even require a seminary or something. Not many, mm-hmm. me, most to me, most people look at Jesus as a um, philosopher, a spiritual leader, but they don't oftentimes talk about his, his practical everyday manness, if you will. Right. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, you know, a builder, a, a stone, stone builder in those days would have been a pretty hefty person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't, uh, he didn't sit around and dream stuff up. He was out early in the morning cutting rock and, you know, hauling it, having it hauled. Um, so yeah, probably, you know, probably so, the opposite so, of an Aristotle type. <laughs> pr- uh, probably so. <laughs> Although Aristotle, I'll tell you, he was the tutor for Mark uh, Alexander the Great, who conquered the world. Yeah. So he probably wasn't much of a lightweight himself. Or I guess I'm thinking of like maybe not, Aristotle might have been a bad example. I was thinking of the um, the Greek philosopher that walks around in his um, toga, you know, in ancient Greece you know philosophy uh, socrates probably socrates probably yeah <laughs> yeah who would stand there for hours staring off into the sky yeah yeah i don't right. i think jesus right. was probably but you know it is kind of interesting too to think about well let's look at the other um i don't know if you call him principal person of the new testament but paul um mm-hmm, sure. what was, was what principal. was paul's trade was he a uh, paul I was know, a tent maker paul was okay. a tent maker That's which right. meant paul spent you know, his, his specific strategy, he did not want to be paid by the church. He refused mm. to be paid by the church. He said it's per- perfectly legitimate for people to be paid. Uh, but he said his strategy was he wants to, he wants to be relevant in the marketplace. He wants to do what Jesus did, which is be, be first and foremost part of the community, part of the flourishing world. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, so he was a tent. He calls him. We call him a tent maker. <clears throat> I was in Egypt doing a workshop. She's probably 10, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I met a fellow. We were out in the wadis, it's called. It was sort of in the desert part where the little rivers go. And I met this man. And as they do, they, they tend because it's hot and, and humid. They will wear what appears to be a, a shirt, a button down, you know, white business shirt that ends up into a gown, right? Uh, and so that's the clothes they wear. And so I saw this man, I thought, he kind of looked like, you know, what Paul may well have looked like. Then it would have turned out he was a, a tent maker. I got to asking him, well, why, you know, what does that mean? What is, why are you, what does it mean to be a tent maker? And so now I ask the question, I ask you the question, when was the last time you were in a tent? Oh, years for me. Probably uh, yeah. close to teenage. Yeah. You know, and that's, you're, you're lying to me. Yeah. Cause you, you're, th- you're thinking about not, you aren't really lying. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're thinking about a pup town in Boy Scouts or right. some such thing. <laughs> but, but if you've, if you've been to a funeral, mm-hmm. you've been in a tent. If you've been to a wedding, likely have been in a tent. Uh, if you've been to a community festival, you've been in a tent. If you've been in a company party of some sort you've probably been in a tent if you right. if you've been to an atlanta united soccer game tailgating you've been in a tent 
uh, you know, if you've been, et cetera, if you've been to a car dealership when they had a sale, you've been in a tent. Mm-hmm. And what he pointed out to me, he said, you know, uh, what we did, we assembled, we rented and assembled tents. We had them manufactured, of course, but we assembled them. And, and he said, and I get to be active and actively engaged in <clears throat> the most intimate times of people's lives as a tent maker. Weddings of their children, their own weddings, uh, company festivals, community festivals, uh, funerals. Um, you know, in other words, God, God gives me the ability to, to help uh, facilitate the most intimate times in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I said, that's how, maybe why Paul felt that. He said, because, you know, because of that, uh, what a what a unique platform to share the love of God with people. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Were people, um, let's say, prior to the modern age, which we'll call industrial revolution, on okay, um, <clears throat> people before that, would they probably associate themselves with their calling? Like, for instance, if you, I know a sure. priest would be a priest, but if you were, say, a um, a pastor in, you know middle of nowhere germany or or um america during the early 1800s would someone say i'm a farmer even though he's a pastor on sunday type thing does that become more of a modern thing that we say oh i have a calling and i am a pastor like in other words when people like to associate with their trade more so than their pastorate uh i i think probably so i mean it's interesting today frankly there's still i would say more than half of uh the pastors of our churches and I, I don't know this number for sure but i'm guessing mm-hmm. more than half of them are bivocational a lot of I've, I've known a lot of ups drivers who are pastors um uh there's just a lot of people who who did like paul uh they were when i was going through my doctorate i had two or three of the my one of them was a um uh public school teacher he was seventh day adventist pastor in queens uh, a couple of them were um, <clears throat> embedded in the army as, um, uh, what do you call them? Chaplains. Right. Chaplains do the work of the military. So they train uh, with, with the military. Uh, so I would say, pro- I think it's probably true. 50% of our pastors today are doing something hmm. that's bivocational. Uh, <clears throat> we just, again, tend to glorify the, you right. know, the guy that's on TV and is on the top of the pile. I guess what made me think of that was um, one of my favorite um, intellects of American history is Jonathan Edwards. Oh, sure. And yeah. he America's greatest philosopher. Yeah, he was he was a farmer. You know, he owned a farm as mm-hmm. many did back in that time. He was. And I don't I, you know, I, I'm guilty of reading a biography and not really knowing this, but I don't know if he would have considered himself just as much of a farmer as a pastor. You know, I suspect he would. Yeah, I suspect he would have. Because again, I think before kind of pre-enlightenment, this idea of specialization stuff, uh, the, the ideas we're talking about, about understanding my calling is to be in my community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our modern age, we tend we tend to be able to isolate, you know, my job from my family, my job from my church, my job from my community. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then it was all seamless, you, you know, uh, what do they say when they see, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, the, the tecton, the builder, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's how he was known. 
even though he was a at that point a preacher yeah it, well you know having said that then um i would imagine a lot of uh smaller church pastors probably do like you said they have um other part-time <laughs> jobs if not another full-time job um do you think that there's danger with pastors that pastor um really large church that are on a good salary um you know and and don't for lack of a better term have to go out and get a um you know 40 hour week job or whatever do you think there's a, a danger that they have to be aware of or i i think there is a danger <clears throat> i don't know that i would advise them necessarily to go to have to get a job outside the church mm-hmm. but i've said this before um uh if i were king <clears throat> i would say to every staff to every church staff member you've got to spend at least two hours a week on the work site with somebody who's in your congregation Mm. that i think that would would eliminate the risk the risk of course is to think that everything revolves around the church right so i talked about with the book there's the challenge of churching uh, discipling people as if they're church members as opposed to if they're image bearers uh so that when i get up to preach and i don't but if i were to get up and preach on a sunday um my illustrations and applications are going to revolve around what we have in common. Mm-hmm. So that would be, uh, you, we both have a family. We both play golf. We both are runners, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so that's, that's what I talk about. I make, yeah. I make application illustration to the things we have in common. Uh, what I don't make application to is, is the work that you do. Cause I don't know what it is. Right. Right. Uh, with a consequence that, or not consequence, but the, so if, if everybody on staff had to go and actually spend two hours walking the floors of the factory uh, with, with their parishioners, then they'd begin to apply the, you know, they would know how to help you put this spiritual truth into practice in your life because they've just been there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I know that every person, just like a fingerprint is different. Um, Mm-hmm. I tend to think I, I've been advised to go to seminary, maybe get involved with the church deeper as far as um, pastorate or whatnot. And that's still on the table <clears> for me. But <throat> when I'm think, I think about who I am and what I like to do. Uh, there are a lot of things that I like to do, obviously podcasting, but I'm a creative type person. I like to mm-hmm. draw and paint <clears throat> uh, graphic de- design stuff kind of intrigues me. And so if I did become a pastor though, I would like to think that, you know, if, even if I'm spending 30 hours a week, whatever it is, 20 hours with sermon prep and doing things that a pastor does, I would hope that I wouldn't lose sight of the things that I being, being a, still being an artist and still loving to work on cars. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, that's the thing. The thing about that is you're, you're not just a theologian. Theologians don't have, theology doesn't happen in the abstract. Mm-hmm. It, it happens in when the dirt under the fingernails activities. Uh, because that's what theology is, the study of God. God is the creator of that physical stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and he didn't, it's not just, it's not just a bus stop on the way to heaven. This is where you'll spend eternity uh, as God intended, right? Now there's problems. It's, it's been corrupted. That's part of our call is to, is to overcome that corruption. Uh, but we were given in the scriptures this picture that there will be a day when absent sin and absent the curse, 
we will operate this world in a flourishing manner. Mm-hmm. And that that strikes me as a that's a pretty interesting future. You know, a place where I'm living in a community, the work we're doing, we're still running the city, but nobody lies to me. Nobody cheats me. Nobody fails to keep their commitments to me. Uh, you know, you know, it just it, if they tell me the truth, which is in short supply in our world today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that is interesting point. Uh, I mean, for younger believers or people that don't understand Christianity, um, the uh, the next world is a whole different holy concept, I guess, in some ways. But uh, sure, yeah, the, uh, that's true though that God is going to redeem this world, and in redemption, we're not just going to be floating in the sky, you know, playing. <clears throat> <laughs> you know uh doing uh what do you call those things the uh cartwheels yeah <laughs> car wheels are floating around pirouettes yeah yeah i mean redeem means to buy back it's essentially to take us back to what we were originally created to be uh which was custodians of god's um physical world mm-hmm. um another thing i was i pulled up your book by the way and um the oh, contents okay. off of amazon and uh, we don't have, I mean, there's a lot of content, so maybe we'll come back to it again one day. But uh, just looking over some of the things, it looks like you talk a lot about discipleship. Um, right. One of the things that I've asked a few pastors before is how, um, in a broad sense, I guess, or specific, however you want to say it, what, what does discipleship really look like to you? I mean, and I say that because to me, there's been a lot of... Um, stereotyping of what discipleship is and i guess a lot of um in my experience at least you would have people that their understanding of discipleship was i should be in a group with three guys and we should study xyz and we should do this and pray this way and do this and that should be my discipleship group (laughs) but it's a lot broader than that isn't it uh well sure is uh and again part of that is this when we when we think in terms of discipling people as church members is what you've just described, mm-hmm. right? We want, them to, we want them to be good church members. Uh, we want them to pray the way we want them to pray. We want them to sing the way we want them to sing. We want them to uh, conform and be in the groups we want them to be in. And so it's, it's trying to get everybody to be the same. Whereas your calling, that's an important part of your world. You know, whereas not, I'm not discounting, you know, you're a, an important part of a Christian's life calling is to be an active, supportive member of their church. Um, but there's so much more to it. There, you know, it's so much broader. Uh, and so for me, discipling, rather than me as a pastor trying to teach you do, to do what I'm called to do, is for me to understand like insurance is a perfect case in point. Where would the world be without insurance? Hmm. We'd be back in the Stone Age, right? Um, and it's, you know, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the, the, the Christian philosophy, Paul's philosophy of economics was when you are a, have abundance, we should use that to ameliorate the, the lack in, at, that others are experiencing in order that when they're reestablished, their abundance can ameliorate the suffering that you have. That's what insurance does. I buy insurance. I pay insurance for, you know, I, until I was 40, I paid insurance every year on my house. 
And then in, in when I was 41, we had a house fire, right? All of a sudden, you know, they had to spend $250,000, $260,000 to bring my house. I didn't have $260,000, you know, to bring that house back up to speed. But because other people were flourishing now, were continuing to pay, the insurance company had the money to, to pay that. Um, and that's the way we got to teach. So, so I have to, when I, if I'm back in a pastoral role, me to disciple you is to help you understand how important uh, what God's called you to do is in the world holding together. I like that. That's uh, very good. Well, um, Dr. Lust, I appreciate you coming on. Um, is there any other uh, points you might like to make about the book? No, it's just, uh, just go buy it. You can, it's, I know yeah. it's, it's available on christianbooks.com. Uh, you can buy it today on there. There's still uh, Amazon. Uh, you can pre-buy it. Um, uh, barnesandnoble.com, hendricksandrose.com all still have a release date of April 19. Or mm -hmm. for those who are, I don't know how many of our folks might be Primitive Church members, but it is available at Primitive Church Bookstore. Oh, okay. So Equipping Christians for Kingdom Purpose in Their Work, A Guide for All Who Make Disciples. Um, yes, sir. That's... Um, and, it, you know, if you're a Christian, you're called to make disciples, according to Jesus, right? So Absolutely. That's that's everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's got called. a pretty, pretty big, pretty big target audience. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. Gene, and, it's uh, been a pleasure. Thanks man, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about golf maybe next time. I don't know. Or some more. I'd be happy to. I'd be happy <laughs> Thanks, to. everybody, for joining us.